1: Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Thank you for joining us today because we're going to be covering chapter 17 titled Eliminating Fears, Are You Really Scared? This is a chapter in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. And we study a chapter each Sunday in this class to help you develop your practice towards the attainment of enlightenment using the teachings of Gautama Buddha. This path to enlightenment is to move the mind to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy where the mind no longer experiences any discontentedness. Well, fear is one of those discontent feelings that if it's invading the mind, the mind can't be permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy when the mind is having fears about various things in life so what i'm going to do in today's class is help you and possibly even for some of you remind you of what fear is and how it's produced in the mind what's causing this fear and how to actually eliminate it this is something that doesn't get discussed until chapter 17 because there's some unique ways to practice in order to eliminate fears All the things that I've already taught you so far in terms of helping you to eliminate discontentedness, all of that still applies and that still needs to be practiced in order to eliminate fears. But there's some very specific things that we can do with fears in order to actually eliminate them from the mind. So thank you all for joining. Really pleased that you've decided to learn the teachings of the Buddha today and Bring those into your life so that you can learn, reflect, and practice. So remember, as I share these teachings with you, you shouldn't believe what I'm sharing with you today. But instead, you can learn what I'm sharing, you can reflect on it, and then you can practice and see the truth for yourself that what I'm sharing is indeed the truth and it actually works to eliminate these fears. So just to help you and remind you of what's causing all discontentedness in the mind is remember the four noble truths remember those first one is that all unenlightened beings are going to experience discontent feelings the second noble truth is the cause of discontentedness is craving desire attachment where the mind is craving desiring or attached longing with a strong eagerness yearning for permanence the mind's wanting things to be a certain way and if it gets the objects of its affection, it's going to experience these conditioned, pleasant feelings. If it doesn't get the objects of its affection or those things fade, then the mind experiences these painful feelings. Then there's these neither painful nor pleasant feelings. So this discontentedness that's caused by craving, desire, attachment are things like conditioned, pleasant feelings, like things like happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria, all of these are conditioned on some impermanent condition. So therefore, these pleasant feelings fade. So they're dissatisfying because they aren't permanent, where the enlightened mental state is permanent. The painful feelings are things like anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, and fear. So craving, desire, attachment is what's causing the fear to arise in the mind. And then there's these neither painful nor pleasant feelings as well. I put in there things like boredom, loneliness, shyness. Although some people say boredom and loneliness is quite painful for them. And that's understandable. You could put it into painful category as well. But nonetheless, what you understand through the second noble truth is that it's craving, desire, attachment that's causing the mind its own discontent feelings. Or some people use the word suffering. But I don't use that word. I use the word discontent discontented or discontentedness, where the mind is shaken up, it's uncalm, it's unsteady. And then the way that we eliminate this discontentedness from the mind is we practice the third noble truth, which is to eliminate discontentedness. We need to eliminate the craving-desire attachments. We need to train the mind to let go and no longer hold on to things so tightly. And that's where we use breathing mindfulness meditation. We use generosity in order to train the mind to let go, let go, let go, so it doesn't hold on so tightly. And that's kind of a nice generalized training to help the mind eliminate all of its discontentedness. And then there's the fourth noble truth, which is the way leading to the elimination of discontentedness is the Eightfold Path. So it's the Buddha's Eightfold Path that completely eliminates all discontentedness from the mind 100% where it no longer experiences any discontentedness whatsoever. So one of the things that you can glean from the Buddha's teachings and the Four Noble Truths and other aspects of his teachings is by saying that the mind is causing its own discontentedness because it craves permanence the other way to say that is that the unenlightened mind does not like impermanence it does not like change it doesn't like things to change it wants to hold on and hold on craving permanence and there it feels like if it holds on it's going to get the satisfaction that it wants but because it's holding on it can't actually get to the permanent peace and permanent joy because it's holding on to impermanent conditions craving these pleasant feelings. So when we talk about fear, what the mind is doing is it's holding on. It's clinging. It's the same exact problem that causes anger or sadness or frustration, the same problem that caused loneliness or boredom or shyness or resentment or jealousy. All of these discontent feelings are being caused by the same underlying problem is that there's something that the mind is holding on to. And because it's holding on to it, it won't let it go. Therefore, fear is experienced in the mind. One example of fear might be if somebody got into a car accident, for example. If they were in a very traumatic car accident and they've experienced this situation where they were driving or they were in the passenger seat And now they hit another car and there is this traumatic experience that the mind now relates driving in a car to some harm or some physical pain or some mental pain that they experienced at some time in the past. And now the mind holding on to this experience, the mind is now conditioned to think that every time I get in this car, I'm going to experience this pain. And oftentimes, the mind can be very fearful to get back into a car after a traumatic accident. And this is because the mind, not only because it's craving permanence, not that it necessarily wants that to be in the mind, but because of that craving, because of the mind longing and yearning and expecting permanence, the mind gets to the point where it's conditioned to think that every single car ride is going to produce this physical harm that they experience so now even after getting out of the hospital or tending to any physical injuries the mind can actually experience mental pain where just the thought of getting into a car again can arise this fear or driving in a car can actually arise fear other people have fears along the lines of things like insects of spiders or ants or animals or uh, reptiles like snakes Some people are fearful of things like heights. They're afraid of going up in a higher building or on an escalator or elevator or on a ladder or things like this. There's just a whole multitude of fears. Some people even fear being homeless or losing their partner or any number of different fears. Maybe people even fear death and they have a fear of actually dying. All of these things are actually traced back to craving desire attachment in this clinging where the mind is holding on. And the way that you address this and you train the mind away from this is, yes, just like I've shared before, breathing mindfulness, meditation and generosity is that generalized training that needs to happen in order for us to eliminate all craving desire attachments. That's kind of like the generalized way to consistently, on an ongoing basis, train the mind to let go and get comfortable with this impermanence. And then I also taught you in a previous chapter about how to use discontentedness as a red light. And when you see that red light, then you know that there's discontentedness in the mind and you start investigating. What are the craving-desire attachments? Well, if the discontentedness that you're experiencing is fear and you observe that there's fear in the mind, You know it's a craving, desire, attachment. There's something that the mind has been conditioned, and it's holding on to something. And now it has this fear. And the way that you train the mind to let go of fear, in addition to everything else that I've taught in this program, is you put the mind in the situations that it's fearful of in order to train it that there's nothing harmful, nothing to fear, that there's nothing there to actually fear. So for example, that first example that I gave with the car ride, if somebody got in a traumatic car accident and now they're very fearful to ride in a car, or maybe why they're in a car, they're very nervous and anxious and they're hitting the brake a lot, or even being in the passenger seat, they're not driving, but they kind of have that reaction where they're hitting the brake with their foot. The way that you train the mind to eliminate this is you do gradual training of slowly helping the mind to now reassociate driving in the car with positive outcomes and positive experiences. So while there was maybe one particular car ride that ended in an accident that caused a lot of harm, the mind is holding on to that experience in the past. And now what we've got to do is we've got to train this mind to let go of that and replace it with positive experiences. So what you would do is you would find somebody that you trust that can drive the car, you would sit in the passenger seat and then you would go on kind of like neighborhood roads, kind of on a slow drive around the neighborhood. And you would be in the passenger seat and just kind of deal with any emotions or fears that come up and you can just observe that there's nothing fearful about riding in a car and that this person you trust is driving the car and they're just slowly driving and kind of allowing the mind to gradually acclimate to being back in the car again and associating it with a positive experience. And then now after you've done that, maybe that's your first training session. The second training session, maybe you do the same thing, but now your friend goes out on kind of a busier highway where there's more activity and more cars moving around, stoplights and things like this. And that's maybe the second time and you kind of slowly, gradually acclimate the mind to being back in this experience and that it didn't end in a crash or a painful experience. Then maybe you move to the point where you're driving the car on neighborhood roads. And now it's just slow neighborhood roads and you're kind of getting acquainted with that. And then maybe on a fourth session, you go out on a busier highway. And of course, you take this at whatever pace it needs to be. You know, you might need to do some of these sessions more than once rather than progressing just one through four. You might need to do them several times. And this gradually starts to release the negative conditioning that the mind has of associating being in a car with this painful experience to now you can see that you can go out in a car you can travel for 10 minutes 20 minutes 30 minutes what have you return back home and you did that safely and the mind is comfortable with that and now it starts associating this traveling in the car with a positive experience or if you have a fear of spiders for example some people have a fear of spiders If you have this fear, then what the mind oftentimes wants to do with all of these fears is it wants to practice aversion. The unenlightened mind that is untrained and undisciplined thinks that if I'm afraid of something, that if I push this away from me and I never see a spider, then I will be pleased with that. I will be satisfied. I will be content. But the problem is is that we can't permanently eliminate these things, any of these things that the mind's fearful with, if we just push it away with aversion and kind of put a wall between us and that thing, thinking we're never going to experience that, then the mind is still holding on to the fear. It hasn't really addressed the real problem. But because the unenlightened mind, the untrained mind, doesn't understand the real problem is craving, desire, attachment, this clinging, then it thinks the way to solve the problem is to push these spiders out, never try to see spiders, or push away this car ride, I never want to get in a car ever again, or... I'm never going to get in an elevator. I'm never going to go up in a high building. The mind thinks that that's going to solve the problem, but it's just burying it. It's like putting the dust under the carpet. So what you do, rather than avoid the situation and practice aversion, is you put the mind in the situation that it's fearful of. Just like we did with the car ride, something like a spider, you would then put the mind in a situation where it needs to view spiders. So you do this gradually. Maybe you use a magazine or maybe you use the internet and you start looking at pictures of spiders and it might be kind of fearful and you feel the fear and maybe it's hard for you to look at them at first, but you kind of gradually train the mind to get comfortable looking at pictures of spiders, for example. Once the mind is acclimated to that over multiple sessions and it feels content and peaceful, it's like, okay, it's just a picture of a spider. No big deal. It's not going to hurt me. There's nothing here to hurt. It's just a physical body. It's just a mind looking at pictures. They're just pictures on the internet or pictures in a magazine. Once the mind gets comfortable and acclimated with that where it's no big deal, now you move on to going to maybe like a museum or something like this where they have preserved spiders And now you kind of see a spider that it's not alive it's behind some glass it's been preserved but there's no way that it can harm you and you kind of look at those for several different times kind of train the mind to be comfortable with it maybe even reach out and touch the glass as if you're touching the spider training the mind that this is nothing to be fearful of then after you get acclimated with that the mind gradually gets comfortable there's contentedness and peacefulness no longer is the mind trying to push it away now you maybe start viewing spiders in its natural habitat maybe there's places around your house or places in the forest or around your yard where there's spiders that congregate and you can start looking at spiders there and you can just observe them you don't have to touch them you don't have to grab them you don't have to pick them up but just look at them and appreciate them for another being and realize that you're not causing that spider any harm whatsoever So therefore, the spider isn't going to cause you any harm. That's the natural law of gamma, that when you're not harming it, it's not going to harm you. So this is the way to gradually acclimate the mind and train it to no longer hold on and cling to any negative experiences. You can do the same thing with something like heights, if you're afraid of heights. Rather than avoid the situation and try to never get on a ladder or never go in an elevator or never go in a tall building, What you do is you gradually acclimate the mind. Maybe you go to a mall where there's like four, five, six, eight, ten levels, and you kind of gradually make your way up to each level, kind of looking over the side at the first floor, the second floor, the third floor. You gradually kind of walk and spend your time. And wherever you feel that maybe you've accomplished enough for that day, then you walk away And then you come back the next day or the next week or the next month, and you kind of go up a few more stories and you kind of look over the edge and you slowly get acclimated with this because never going to a place where you're up on a higher place isn't necessarily realistic nowadays. We need to be comfortable and content with going up a ladder perhaps or being in a building that has multiple floors or being in an elevator or something like this. And this is how you gradually start training the mind that you're not doing anything that is harmful. Therefore, harm isn't going to come to you. This situation actually happened with my son when he was really young that he actually was walking with me on the street in America. He was about two years old at the time. And as he was walking, we were walking, I was holding his hand and there was this puppy coming, this dog. It was a German Shepherd. It was a big puppy. It was not a little tiny kind of two-month or three-month-year-old puppy. It was like a one-year-old puppy. And I saw it coming from a a while away and the owner was kind of tugging and pulling the owner. And it had that really happy face with the tongue coming out, like it was really wanting to play with somebody. And here comes this little boy, two years old. And of course, this little puppy wants to play with a little two-year-old, right? So as we were walking, it was only a matter of time where we got close enough. and this little dog, this puppy jumped and lurched at Bailan, and Bailan screamed and he, you know, grabbed onto me and I picked him up. And this dog eventually went on with its owner. But this was imprinted in Bailan's mind from the age of two. So by the time we moved to Thailand here, about a, six months later, a year later. I started observing that he was afraid of dogs. Whenever he was around dogs, he was afraid of dogs. And by the time he was about six or seven years old, I observed that he was still really afraid of dogs. And I asked him if he understood why he was afraid of dogs. And he said, no, he didn't. He never remembered what happened when he was two years old, but this was imprinted in the mind, and the mind was clinging to this negative experience that he associated this dog lurching at him and jumping on him and licking him as a negative experience. So therefore, his mind clung to it and held on to it. So the way that I helped him to get over that is to bring him around dogs and help him gradually pet dogs and spend time with them and walk them on leashes and things like this. And gradually over time, he let go of being fearful of dogs. He was also afraid of the dark at one point. I'd observe that whenever he would walk up the stairs if I turned off the lights He would cry and cry and cry. So I gradually needed to help him get acclimated that there's nothing harmful about the dark. So what we would do is we would sit on the floor. We would turn off all the lights. We would play a little game and see how long we could turn the lights off. And then we would turn them back on. And there were certain periods of time where I let him be sure that he was controlling the lights. So he felt like he was able to turn the lights on at any time that his mind felt like he needed the light. He would turn it back on. And gradually over time, over multiple experiences, we got to the point where he could walk up and down the steps. He could be in a room where it was dark. He could be in the bathroom alone with the lights off and things like this. So the mind has to get acclimated to these different experiences that it's fearful of. And certain things that you're afraid of, you might not actually even remember why you're afraid of it. It might have been an experience from your childhood. It could have been an experience from a previous life that the mind is holding on to and clinging on to this experience, and you might find that there are certain things that you're afraid of in this life. And while breathing mindfulness meditation, generosity, and all these other teachings that I've shared are going to slowly help you move towards eliminating fears, there's something very specific that we need to do with fears in order to truly eliminate the craving-desire-attachment. So in the situation with the lights, Bailan was craving, desiring, clinging, wanting there to be light. He has this mental longing and strong eagerness wanting the light to be permanent. So when he experienced that impermanence of the lights being dark, the mind didn't like that, and that's where the fear arose. Or in a situation where somebody is scared of spiders, their mind is craving, desiring, attached, it's yearning, it's longing, it wants to never see spiders. That's the permanence that it's craving. So when it sees a spider, that's the impermanence that the unenlightened mind doesn't like. So it arises this fear and it associates this experience with something harmful is going to happen. And oftentimes the self that we talked about last week, that personal existence view, the self-image the self-identity the mind holding on to this physical body is oftentimes what's driving a lot of the fears in the mind this clinging and holding on to this personal existence view the mind thinks that this spider is going to harm the physical body and therefore it's going to harm you or when the lights go out the individual thinks that there's going to be some harm that comes to this physical body or this mind because the lights go out or going up in a high building or in an elevator the mind is holding on to this physical self to this body to this mind thinking that it's permanent and that there's going to be some harm that's going to come to it so in order to desensitize the mind and gradually train it towards being peaceful calm serene and content with joy we need to put the mind in that situation that it's afraid of multiple times gradually increasing the stimulus more and more to the point where it finally gets to realize that I've done all of these things and there's no harm that has come to this physical body or to this mind as a result of putting the mind in these situations. And this is how you gradually train the mind and desensitize it to any fears that it's having. Pushing these things away with aversion and trying to avoid these situations doesn't actually solve the problem. It just brushes the dust under the carpet and it just accumulates more and more and it's only a matter of time before that spider shows up and oh my goodness the mind is shaken up and it's unstable it's unsteady or the lights went out oh my goodness i'm scared or lightning right or some storm or any number of things or death itself death is interesting in terms of how do you eliminate the fear of death is you can't create death in order to eliminate the fear of death That not how you actually do it instead what you do is you put the mind in the situation where you contemplate your own death so if you're having fears of death after you've gone a certain period of time of training with breathing mindfulness meditation generosity and all the other parts of the eightfold path what you end up doing is you kind of sit quietly you close the eyes, you kind of contemplate your own death as if you've actually died, as if this physical body has died. Maybe visualize your funeral, visualize your family and friends being very sad and crying and sorrowful, almost like you're a fly on the wall at your own funeral. And you kind of allow the mind to almost convince itself that this physical body has died. You might actually even become sad during that contemplation during that reflection and then when you emerge from that you realize like okay it was a normal part of life it was impermanence and then you do this multiple times and you kind of slowly gradually train the mind to get comfortable with death because if you didn't do this and you just allow death to kind of sneak up on you then when you actually are nearing death then the mind's going to be fearful because it's holding on it's craving permanence. It's craving permanent existence. So when you face death, the mind can become very fearful because it's holding on to life. It's holding on to existence. But if you kind of do three, four, five, six sessions, however many it needs until you observe that the mind is completely comfortable sitting there contemplating that you've actually died, then when you do this, when you realize the mind is actually peaceful and calm during these contemplation, then you know that, okay, the mind has gained this comfort. It's gained this contentedness. It's gained this acceptance that death is going to occur. It's not something that I can avoid. And craving and clinging to life isn't going to solve the fears, but also pushing away the idea that you are ever going to die isn't gonna solve the problem either because we are going to die. So the best way to address the fears, rather than push it away, is confront it. So that's how you confront the fear of death is by sitting, contemplating, thinking over your own death. And if you have other people close to you that you're afraid of mom dying, or dad dying, or grandma, or your life partner, or even your children, if you can't even fathom your child dying while you're alive and how difficult that might be for you. One of the ways to train the mind to get comfortable with that is sit and reflect and contemplate a person's death not that you're wishing them to be dead but you're just confronting it as if they have died and doing that over multiple situations the beauty in that is you emerge from that reflection and that contemplation and you can spend time with your child you can spend time with your grandmother grandfather your mother your dad your life partner your brothers and sisters that they haven't actually died so even if you convince yourself that these people have died and you become sad during that experience that's okay because that sadness, you're going to need to eliminate it. And you eliminate it as it starts to arise in the mind. And then you get to spend time with these people. And not only does it help you get comfortable with their death, but it helps you to eliminate any kind of attachment you have to that individual as well. Because grieving as somebody dies is actually optional. We don't have to feel this sorrow and this grief and this despair when somebody dies. It's not love that's causing that. It's our mind craving and clinging to this person. This love is having a genuine interest in seeing people be well and peaceful. But the mind, when there's craving, there's clinging, this craving for permanence, holding on to this person permanently, then it's going to have grief and sorrow and despair. It's going to feel like somebody knocked your feet out from under your legs when somebody passes away who's really close to you. But if you can confront this, during life now and why they're alive it really helps you because then someday when they die if they die during your life then you've already confronted that over multiple experiences so you'll see that it won't affect the mind in the same way you may even be able to experience appreciation and gratitude for this person rather than having any sorrowful feelings or despair at the time of death and as you're going through that process of training the mind to understand that, okay, this person has died and now that's just impermanence. There's nothing wrong or bad about somebody dying. It's just part of the natural laws of existence and how things progress in this life. If we're born, there's going to be death. And there's no need to be afraid of death if you understand how to eliminate the craving desire attachments and you understand the wholesomeness that you're doing in the world you don't necessarily need to have this fear of what's going to come next when you understand what is going to come next in some situations so what i'd like to do is just kind of pause here and take any questions you guys have about anything that i've shared so far that you can understand what i'm sharing with you in terms of what causes fears and understand how to eliminate the fears. And one of the ways that you guys might choose to ask questions is you might share certain fears that you are actually experiencing. If you know there are certain fears that you have in the mind, you can share what those fears are. And then I will help you put together a plan of how to confront these fears, address them so that you can eliminate them from the mind. The way that you can do this is through Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Just put those into the comment section. Our moderators will see that and be sure your question gets asked during the class, or you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions that you like. So feel free to ask any questions about anything that I've shared so far, or even share some of the fears that you're experiencing, and I'll help you understand how to eliminate them.
2: Hello, teacher. Is there a quick fix to force the mind to be content in these situations instead of this gradual process of exposing the mind to these failures.
1: There's no quick process for anything as it comes to training the mind. It's always a gradual progression. There's oftentimes in today's society, we're used to quick fixes, right? You've got a headache, take a pill, 30 minutes later, the headache's most of the time gone, perhaps. Or we're used to, you know, I'm hungry, let me go get some fast food, let me eat, and boom, you know, I solve the hunger really quick. So we're used to these kind of quick things, especially with internet, with electronic devices. We have lots of quick, expedient things that are happening around us, more so than during the lifetime of the Buddha. You know, when you traveled from town to town during the lifetime of the Buddha, it was basically walking. That's what he did. He walked. Or, you know, people had certain carriages to kind of carry them. But it was very slow compared to today's standards. So people understood that things took time during the lifetime of the Buddha, that the mind is gradual training. But today, with so much quickness and fastness around us, we oftentimes think that everything should be fast, everything should be quick. But in reality, the way that the mind functions is it functions with gradual training. These fears and this accumulation of conditioning of the mind, this accumulation of pollution in the mind, it happened gradually over the course of this life and previous lives. So it's not going to be able to be eliminated quickly. But when you start meditating, doing breathing mindfulness meditation and practicing the other aspects of the Eightfold Path, you should start noticing some improvements pretty early. Like you'll notice some improvements to the condition of the mind, certain things that made you angry before, they will kind of make you frustrated now. It won't be as fierce of anger as it was in the past. And gradually that'll diminish to maybe an irritation or an annoyance, eventually getting to the point where hey, that same exact thing that used to create such anger and rage in the mind no longer has that. It's just the mind's completely peaceful when that same exact experience happens. So you know you're on the right track in terms of training your mind. So fears are the same way that you can't just get in a car one time and eliminate the fear if somebody's holding on to a fear of riding in cars, or you can't just look at one spider and just immediately eliminate all fears of spiders. So the mind has to be gradually trained to observe that there's nothing harmful that's going to happen to you by looking at spiders. And that usually will take multiple sessions for the mind to do that. And then once you realize that the mind is very peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, when you're looking at a spider and you've overcome that fear, then you can look at what other fears are in the mind, if any, and then address it in the same way. So once you understand this methodology that I'm sharing with you about how to address fears, you can apply it to spiders. You can apply it to riding in a car. You can apply it to your children being afraid of the dark. You can apply it to heights. You can apply it to death. You can apply it to all of these different things that the mind might be fearful of helping you to transcend that and eliminate the fear, but also helping other people. If someone has a question around you that is curious about how to eliminate fears, then you can eliminate that and share that with them of how to eliminate it because you've done the work to see the truth of how this actually works yourself. But it's always going to be a gradual process.
2: Do you consider fear of darkness is necessarily related to fear of uh spirits
1: or ghosts? Everybody has a different reason for that, right? Like it's always impermanence. It's always going to be craving, desire, attachment. It's always going to be impermanence. If the mind doesn't like this impermanence, it craves this light. And now when there's dark, that's the impermanence. If someone's had negative experiences with spiritual entities that are dark or devilish or unwholesome, and they've allowed fear to come into the mind because of that, then they're going to associate the dark with that. So it's not just the impermanence of the dark. It's now this experience that the mind's clinging to that when it was dark, it had this experience with these ghosts or entities, and now it's associating that with the dark as well. So there again, the mind If you've had experiences with ghosts or these formless beings that are either in the hell realm, afflicted spirits or heavenly realm, and you become fearful of them, this is oftentimes because the mind lacks the understanding. It lacks the wisdom to understand that all of these beings in these different realms can communicate with us and we can communicate with them. And the mind feels like either, oh, I'm going crazy that I'm seeing these ghosts or this is something that I should be afraid of, that this is gonna harm me. Even though the person has never experienced any harm, it's just seeing the ghost. And it's so different than anything they've ever experienced. It's so much impermanence. They're only used to interacting with human beings and animals. And now when they experience this afflicted spirit or this ghost, now the mind doesn't like that impermanence. It's not used to that. But when a person understands that this is part of a normal part of life that you might experience coming in contact with something like an afflicted spirit, they might be trying to communicate with you, you might be able to communicate with them, this is a normal part of life, there's nothing to be afraid of, you haven't caused harm to that being, this being isn't going to cause harm to you then the mind can be at ease when it understands the natural law of karma and it understands that this is just impermanence, that you're not going to permanently be speaking with human beings, that there may be other beings from other realms that show up and that this is a normal part of life and you don't have to be afraid of it and run from it, that you haven't caused harm to this afflicted spirit, so therefore it's not going to cause harm to you.
2: How to eliminate fears of failure? What situations can a a practitioner expose the mind to to eliminate these fears?
1: Yeah, so if we look at our failures, we can look at them as being learning experiences rather than having painful feelings that we didn't get the objects of our affection, right? That's how we typically look at a failure. Like we set out to get a college degree and we would like to get this bachelor's or this four-year degree and we work towards it for a year or two or three, and then ultimately we quit and we give up and we say we failed. Well, there was a lot of learning that you did in that process. You didn't ultimately achieve the goal of the four-year degree, but that just wasn't what you chose to do. You chose to do other things. So rather than looking at it as I failed and having this stigma that people in your family or friends or society might want to place on you that you failed, you didn't get your four-year degree. Well, there's many things that every single human being has not accomplished that they set their eyes on, they set their objectives on, and they didn't accomplish that goal. But that doesn't mean that it was a failure. That means that you learned a certain amount of things, you progressed to the point where you felt was helpful, and then you just chose to do something else. But there was a lot of learning in that experience. Every single goal and objective that we set our eyes on and our mind to achieve, we're not going to achieve it. Because if we did, that would be permanence. If every single goal that we ever set, if we absolutely obtained every single goal that we ever set, that would be permanence and it doesn't exist. So we have to train the mind that if we progress towards a certain goal and we stop short of that, that isn't a failure. That's a choice that we're not going to pursue any further. And we've learned a whole lot in that process. And it's okay to progress to a certain point, realize that, okay, this isn't for me and I'm going to redirect my focus in this other direction. So there's many things that we set our eyes on. We set our goals and objectives to achieve that we might choose to move away from. But it's when people might berate you or talk negative to you that you feel those painful feelings arise. You feel the sadness or the fear that arises or the frustration. Or if you were chasing after pleasant feelings and you felt like if you got this four-year degree, there was going to be all these pleasant feelings and you were pursuing it out of craving. And then you choose not to get it, or for some reason you weren't able to get it. Say there was a medical issue that you couldn't get this four-year degree. Now, because the mind was chasing those pleasant feelings to get the four-year degree, now it can't get it. So it's going to experience these painful feelings of fear. So understanding that it's this craving-desire attachment that is causing the mind to chase after these pleasant feelings and when it can't get it it's going to experience the painful feelings that can help you to see that this fear that's arising is because of the craving, and desire attachment and you can let go and choose to no longer pursue this objective you can make a choice a logical intelligent choice to not pursue this goal anymore even though three years ago you thought with a hundred percent certainty you would like to get this four-year degree Maybe after two or three years, you've changed your mind, and that's impermanence. The struggle and the difficulty comes in is when you're in your two or third year and you feel like you don't really want to go forward for this four-year degree, but you just push yourself and push yourself because you're afraid of your family telling you all these negative things that you're a failure. You're afraid of your friends or other people berating you because you didn't accomplish the goal that you set out for three years ago right so we need to train our mind that we can set goals we can work towards that goal and then we can let go of that goal as well so for example for me you guys may not know but i was married prior to my current wife and when i married that person i intended to be with that person for the rest of my life but there is A period of time where I realized that this isn't going to work out this relationship isn't right but I held on for a really long time because I was afraid to let go of this relationship because I was taught that once you get married you can't get a divorce and the mind was craving this permanence and I was fearful of the people around me thinking that I was a failure that I'd fail in this relationship but what I realized is that by staying in this relationship For the rest of my life, I would have just been miserable, but that's not to say anything bad about the person I was married to because in that experience of the time that I was married, I learned a tremendous amount about life, about her, about myself, and about my own interest of what I was interested in having in a partner. So I'm pleased that I had that experience because I learned a tremendous amount but it was when the mind was holding on, trying to get to this objective of lifelong marriage, that the mind was struggling and having difficulties and it was highly discontent. It wasn't until I let go, realizing that that's not a failure, that's a choice to move away from this relationship and make a better, wiser choice. When I got married the first time at age 27, I didn't know the things that I knew about myself at the age of 33. By the time that I was five or six years into this marriage, I learned things about this mind and what I'm interested in having in life that I didn't know at age 27. So the decision that I made at 27 turned out that it wasn't the best decision for me, but that's only because I learned more along the way. So as we progress towards our goals and objectives, we can set a certain goal and objective, think it's the very best thing for us, walk. You know five you know eight nine steps towards that goal and then with new information realize yeah this isn't what I'm really interested in doing and we can make a choice to move in an opposite direction or a different direction and that's not a failure that's a learning a lot through those eight or nine steps and I just chose not to go to the 10th step for example in certain situations and we moved into something else. So we shouldn't view things as a failure, but we should view each situation and each progression, each objective and each goal that we're working towards, that it's a whole lifelong learning pursuit. And even if we don't ultimately get to the final goal and objective, they're still learning and there's still benefit there.
2: On Zoom, Jen has a question. She writes, thank you, teacher David. I have glaucoma and I am losing my vision. I'm afraid of going blind. It is a real possibility. And then she adds, saying, I am an artist and depend on my vision for my livelihood and to support my family.
1: So this is where you start making wise decisions towards what could potentially happen. Because eyesight isn't permanent, even as we age, even people who have certain eyesight and they can see as we age, eyesight deteriorates. So we're all going to kind of have a deterioration of our eyesight at some point. So knowing this impermanence, that eyesight does deteriorate over time, and with your condition, you may experience a a more rapid decline of your eyesight. What you do instead is you start making wise decisions in order to prepare for that. So Maybe you need to get other skills in terms of how you take in information and learning and certain way of supporting yourself and livelihood while you have your site now, rather than hold on to this livelihood that you currently have, you may need to change, right? Because Painting and being artistic is wonderful, and it's great that you probably enjoy that and you've made a certain livelihood for yourself, but you have to be willing that at some point you may have to let go of that or redirect it into something else, something like maybe pottery or manipulating clay or something like this, something more with the hands that doesn't necessarily require as much sight. Of course, it would be wonderful if you had sight, doing something like pottery, but those things can also be done without it as well. So you need to find other ways to progress towards a livelihood and doing that now while you have eyesight can be really helpful. So that way the mind isn't shocked by this impermanence that if you do lose your sight gradually or all of a sudden, then you've actually prepared for it. So rather than just hold on to the life that you currently have, in the eyesight that you currently have, understand that these things are impermanent, make some wise decisions to move towards if you potentially lose your eyesight at some point and develop some skills and abilities to help you so that you can be prepared if that happens. So then you won't be fearful because now if you keep your eyesight and it continues, fine i will continue doing the things that i'm doing but if for some reason i lose this eyesight then i've actually got preparation and i've got plan b c and d to be able to address this so get comfortable with this and the same thing like i mentioned about contemplating death and kind of facing it is you can contemplate losing your eyesight right this might be the way you prepare the mind because right now suggesting to you to kind of prepare to lose your eyesight in case that might happen. You might not even know where to begin. So what you might like to do is just kind of sit and contemplate. Imagine losing your eyesight and what would you do and how can you progress? And it might take you multiple sessions. It probably will to help you kind of start to visualize the kind of life and livelihood that you can use in order to sustain your life without your eyesight and gradually over time as you reflect on this and you contemplate it you're confronting the idea that you may lose your eyesight at some point but then in that contemplation and that reflection and confronting it you're also helping the mind to develop plan b and c and d so that you can be prepared should it ever happen
2: sometimes fears are really painful and strong so One is not able to expose the mind to them. So maybe for some people, talking to strangers, uh, talking in front of people, uh, they are unable to take the first step. What's your advice for this?
1: You have to do this gradually. You have to do it slowly. And do it in situations where you feel comfortable. So if you've got a friend who's very comfortable talking to someone who you don't know, someone that they don't know then maybe you go with that friend and you kind of be their sidekick for a little bit and you guys go out in a park and your whole objective is just to have fun and enjoy the day but part of your objective is to talk to people that you don't know and maybe you just sit on a park bench together and then you look over and just mention something to the person oh it's such a beautiful day out or you kind of observe the qualities of your friend who's very comfortable and unshy it's talk to someone who they don't know, observe the way that they conduct themselves and kind of borrow from what you see. And then you kind of incorporate that right there with the person that you trust and the person that you know. You have that person there with you and you kind of gradually learn to do that when they're with you. But then over time and you go out into the world gradually get comfortable with talking with people that you don't know and this is where the mind needs this gradual training that you're not going to be able to just jump out and be the most sociable person that ever existed you're going to have to gradually break through this wall and this is where the eightfold path is really really helpful and everything comes back to the eightfold path because that mental discipline that the buddha taught is part of right effort right mindfulness and right concentration that if you're aware of the mind in a situation and you're aware of this shyness coming up in the mind, rather than shy away and move in the opposite direction, which is what the unenlightened mind is going to want to do, that's aversion. It's pushing the situation away. When you observe with mindfulness or awareness of mind that shyness is coming up in the mind, then you apply right effort to abandon the unwholesome and arise the wholesome. So this practice that I'm sharing with you about confronting your fears, whether it's shyness or anything else, it comes back to the full path that where you are aware of any fears arising in the mind because of mindfulness, then you apply right effort to then put the mind in those situations and gradually acclimate it and desensitize it to whatever it's fearing. And the mind can realize that, hey, I talked to three people today, or maybe one person that I didn't know. And over the last week or two or the last five years, I haven't talked to anybody that I don't know because I'm so fearful. But today I talked to one person. So you know what, tomorrow my goal is gonna be two people. And then tomorrow you talk to two people. And then, okay, now I'm gonna go up to three. And you kind of increase this gradually and you start training the mind that there's nothing to be fearful of. But when you talk to those people that you don't know, You can't have any expectations whatsoever. This is one of the reasons why the mind becomes fearful of talking to someone you don't know, because maybe you've said hello to somebody in the past, thinking that you were being so polite and so kind and respectful. And you said, hello, or how's your day going? And they're like, you know, and they're kind of aggressive with you. And now the mind is associating talking with someone you don't know to this negative experience that you had in the past. So if you're going to try to break through shyness and talk to people that you don't know, you have to be sure that you don't have an expectation that they're going to respond to you in the way that you want them to respond. So when you go out and you say hello to somebody or you make a a certain comment about the weather or whatever, just kind of small talk, don't expect them to reciprocate with you. They might actually be shy and fearful too. So it might take 10, 20 people before someone is actually polite and kind, friendly and respectful to you back. So don't let the negative reaction of other people to now further condition the mind that you shouldn't talk to anybody who you don't know. So be sure that you don't have expectations of the people that you're going to end up saying hello to or interacting with in order to break through your fear or your shyness.
2: In a discussion about fears, someone shared that when she is focusing on what she is doing, reading a book, for example, when someone enters the room, suddenly the mind is shaking. So what kind and what's the reason for this kind of fears?
1: The person who's reading the book, right, has the fear. Well, it really all depends because this is where each mind is unique and you can't say someone who's reading a book, someone walked in, this is the problem. You can't just come up with one permanent answer. We know it's craving, desire, attachment. We know it's clinging. We know the mind has been conditioned based on some experience that that's what's causing the problem. But what specific craving or what it's specifically clinging to, that's where each individual mind is unique in that situation. Let's just say this person who's reading the book, let's just say when they were like eight years old, they got beat up by a man wearing a blue sweater, okay? And now they start associating everyone who wears a blue sweater with being a harmful person, someone who's gonna be aggressive and harmful to me. So now over the course of this person's life, anytime they see someone wearing a blue sweater, they could get fear and fear could arise in the mind. So if this person's reading a book and someone with a blue sweater walks in, and they see that, they could get shaken up and the fear could arise in the mind. But for someone else, it could be something completely different. It's still craving, desire, attachment. It's still clinging. And this is why I invite all of you to share what your fears are so that I can help you to eliminate them because everybody's going to be a little bit different. And one of the fears that you might actually have if you're listening to this is a fear to ask questions in a class. People sometimes are very fearful of that. So, if you're having fear right now to ask a question in a class, the way that you get over that fear is you confront it. Even though everything inside the mind right now is like, don't ask a question, don't ask a question, but yet the mind wants to ask a question, confront that fear, ask a question. Because every single situation is a little bit different about why the mind is fearful. And oftentimes, fear of asking a question or shyness is because the mind is holding on to that personal existence view, that self-image and that self-identity. And the person feels like if I ask a question about fear, then I'm exposing something about me. And now I feel less of a person if I expose this in a public setting. And the mind feels like, they've diminished this self-image or the self-identity whereas if you let go of the self-image and self-identity and no longer try to project a certain self-image and self-identity to other people trying to uphold this personal existence view and you're like hey i've got a question let me just ask a question no sense in being shy no sense in being fearful let me just ask a question let me get rid of this personal existence view let me get rid of this self-image and the self-identity that the mind's clinging to let me get rid of this fear because by holding on to it it doesn't eliminate it and it just allows it to precipitate and continues more and more so the way that you break through this is you break through the wall you confront it so even if you're having fear to ask a question in a class like this that's all the more reason why you should ask a question uh, quarantine has this that's
2: good so I had a question related to Basim' question. Sometime I, when I meditate, I set a, a bell to ring at the end. And when the the bell is re, uh, ringing, I get surprised and my mind gets surprised and the body also. And is that surprise related to fear? And uh, I feel that it's maybe the mind is attached to concentration, or is attached to a certain state, state of mind, or a certain a certain silence. When it get, um, when it disappear, because of the of the bell, maybe the mind get discontent.
1: Yeah, this is the impermanence that the mind doesn't like because it gets used to that silence during meditation, and now there's this impermanence of this sound coming, and now the mind gets shaken up because of the sound. So if you tend to meditate in mostly silent settings and environments where it's fairly silent and still, the way to acclimate the mind and desensitize it is you go into environments where there is sound. Maybe on a busy street, at a bus stop, maybe there's places where you can meditate where there's kind of things going on around and you introduce some sound into the meditation. Even some people, if they would like to do it at home, you can maybe Pull up a YouTube video that is just like street sounds, right? And just play that in the background while you're meditating in your own home and kind of acclimate the mind that it's not always going to be silent, that it's not craving and clinging and holding on to the silence so that you're not startled when you hear something like an alarm. So that's how you confront it and desensitize the mind.
2: Well, on Facebook, Richard has a question. He writes, teacher, The procrastination of doing works due to the fear of making mistakes when doing work. How can we deal with it?
1: That's one that you have to break through, right? You can't procrastinate and do nothing. And you have to understand that you will make mistakes, right? You can't be permanently perfect at this point because that would be an enlightened being who would maybe do things Without certain mistakes in terms of what they might be working on. But even still, if an enlightened being was uh, writing out a phone number, for example, they're going to make it a mistake writing out a phone number because they can't permanently write out the phone number exactly correct because that would be permanence. So, with the mind craving permanence, wanting to never make a mistake. It's craving that permanence. It's clinging, right? Therefore, it's afraid to actually do something. So you have to train the mind to be comfortable with impermanence and know that this is a natural part of life, that you're going to make mistakes. The goal would be that you do things slowly and consistently and gradually so that you minimize mistakes and that you do that with concentration. But there's still going to be a certain level of mistakes. That's what we all experience as part of the universal truth of impermanence, you can't run from impermanence. So procrastinating isn't going to eliminate the mistakes because this universal truth of impermanence tells us there's going to be mistakes. So even in procrastinating, there's going to be mistakes there too because of the universal truth of impermanence. So you've got to break through that and just realize that you can't cling to this permanence of wanting no mistakes. That there are going to be mistakes and when you observe that there's mistakes you just address them and you move on and you learn from those mistakes
2: on zoom nick has a question he writes when someone gets startled what is the grieving
1: the startledness comes from the personal existence view if the mind is holding on to this physical body then someone can get startled and nick probably remembers when he was here and thailand he told me that he was interested in working on eliminating personal existence views so there was a time at a temple where he was walking and i was hiding around a corner and i jumped out and i scared him and this is one of the ways that you can train the mind and acclimate it to understand there's nothing to be afraid of because an enlightened being if you did that same thing if you were hiding around the corner and you jumped out and like rah an enlightened being isn't going to be startled because they're not holding on this personal existence view they're not holding on to this body that sound that comes at them that produces fear in some people's minds their mind is already acclimated and trained of impermanence they won't jump and get startled by that situation so the mind is uncomfortable with the impermanence of maybe a sound if somebody's trying to scare you The mind is holding on and clinging to the physical body as the personal existence view. So this is how you acclimate yourself is if I was you, Nick, I would have Christina and Jackson and others to scare you multiple times, be hiding from you and jump out and try to scare you because that's going to help the mind to get acclimated to the impermanence of sound and get acclimated to letting go of this personal existence view. Because as long as the mind holds on to it, it's going to keep getting fearful and, and get startled. And this is the way that as a community, remember the Buddha taught to have confidence in the Buddha, to have confidence in the teachings and have confidence in the community. And this is how a community helps each other is that, you know, Nick, if you go to Christina and Jackson and other people in your life and say, hey, if you guys would like to have some fun and try to scare me over the next couple of weeks, you know, go for it, you know have fun. And this is the way that community members can help each other to overcome some of these challenges.
2: Nick, continue writing. Uh, Or the gag when someone hides and jumps out at another for a quick scare, is it a fear for existence?
1: Yeah, it's the mind clinging and holding on to this physical body, thinking something harmful is going to happen. It doesn't like that impermanence of the sound, right? And hearing certain sounds, the mind's kind of, you're just walking down the hallway and rah, somebody jumps out in front of you. The mind's not used to that impermanence. So the way that you train the mind to do that and get used to that is give everybody full reign to, to scare you as much as they like eventually you get to the point where you've just sensitized the mind and it won't be fearful and it won't be fun for them anymore because you won't get afraid this is the same thing uh like if somebody's very ticklish right this is a sensitivity to the body these are the six sense bases nick that if somebody's very ticklish the way that you train the mind to stop being so ticklish is you tickle them a whole lot. So you'll find that with Bailan, I just tickle him all the time, different times. I'm always tickling him. And as I'm tickling him, sometimes I'm suggesting to him, you know, train your mind. This this isn't ticklish. You know, train your mind to remain calm and content, even though daddy's tickling you. So I'll kind of desensitize the mind that this contact with the physical body doesn't need to arise these pleasant feelings, these conditioned pleasant feelings. And without my family realizing what the Buddhist teachings were, they did that with me growing up. And I got to the point where I used to pee my pants. They would tickle me so bad and I would be embarrassed and I would be wet and I have to take a shower. And I kind of got tired of doing that. So I trained the mind growing up to no longer be ticklish and this is how you desensitize the mind is by getting tickled then you train the mind to not be shaken up when somebody's making contact with the physical body so all of these different situations like this you can train the mind to be steady to be stable and content even when somebody's tickling you
2: it seems that in some cultures there is a fear of certain numbers or certain colors what may be the craving? to the craving in the situation
1: this is conditioning of the mind where somebody's taught you like okay you know whenever you see the color red this is bad or if you see a black cat you know bad things are going to happen to you or something like this this is the mind being conditioned just like when by was walking and this dog jumped out and there was this negative experience there's this negative experience that grandma or grandpa or your brother or your sister your mom or dad imprinted into the mind that if you see a black cat this is bad luck and horrible things are going to happen or if you break a mirror you know, you're going to have seven years of bad luck i don't know if they have that one in egypt blossom but in america some people tend to teach people this if you break a mirror you're going to have seven years of bad luck this is all folklore this is all legend this is all myth there's nothing supporting that whatsoever but the mind can be conditioned that way if you've been taught that many times that you can have this fear that arises when you break a mirror or you see a black cat because the mind has been conditioned to believe this this is where belief causes the mind to be shaken up but you can see in situations where you've seen a black cat or you've broken a mirror that nothing harmful has happened to you in the way that it's said so there you can see the truth that it's actually true reality that the true reality is is that You can see a black cat and everything's completely fine. There's nothing that's going to cause you harm. or You can break a mirror and nothing's going to cause you harm. So you have to look at the truth and let go of this conditioning, let go of these beliefs that people have imprinted into your mind. And growing up, there's all these imprints that we've been given in our mind. And now the mind is clinging and holding on to these imprints. So that's what the craving is. That's what the clinging is, is that you heard mom tell you that if you break a mirror, you're gonna have seven years of bad luck. And now when it happens, the mind is clinging and craving to what mom said and thinking that that's permanent when it's not true, it's not reality. The mind is just believing it. So you can see for yourself, if you think that you're going to get seven years of bad luck by breaking a mirror, go break a mirror and see for yourself that it's not true. Or if you think that seeing a black cat is going to create bad luck for you, go look at black cats. You're not going to have bad luck because there's no such thing as luck. It's all about choices and decisions. Everything that happens in our life is based on our choices and decisions. Everything that happens to us in our life is all choices and decisions. There's no such thing as luck. So just because you saw a black cat, there's not this mystical, magical being or this mystical, magical force or entity or universe that is going to all of a sudden create this bad luck in your life it doesn't happen that way everything that happens in your life is based on your own choices so you can test these things rather than believing that all black cats when you see them are going to cause bad luck or breaking a mirror is going to cause bad luck rather than believing that also don't believe that breaking a mirror isn't going to cause bad luck test it go break a mirror and see what happens And go look at black cats and see what happens so you can test it for yourself and see the truth.
2: Well, talking about cause and result or law of karma, uh, does law of karma apply to all people? I mean, uh, adults and even children?
1: It applies to all beings, all things. You don't need to know the law of gamma in order for it to affect you. It's just like the natural law of gravity. When we were three years old, six years old, we didn't know about the natural law of gravity, but it still affected us. The same thing with the natural law of gamma. Whether we're a human being, whether we're aware of this natural law or not, it's still affecting us. Even animals, it's still affecting them, whether they're aware of it or not. Same thing with all these beings and all these other realms. This natural law of gamma is always there. It's always affecting everyone. So that's why what the Buddhist teachings are doing is helping you understand the wisdom of this natural law. Because now with the wisdom, you can actually make conscious choices to improve your outcomes. Based on this wisdom, you can produce wholesome outcomes. Whereas if you don't know about this natural law and you don't understand it, you can't make wise decisions that lead to wholesome results instead we're making all these unwholesome decisions thinking it's the best decision but in reality it's truly an unwholesome decision and it keeps producing these unwholesome results and we don't understand why because we don't understand this natural law of gamma the more that we understand this natural law and we get this wisdom Now we can make conscious decisions based on this natural law. And now we can improve our outcomes and have wholesome outcomes. It's the same thing with the natural law of gravity. The more wisdom we had, the more awakened we became of this natural law of gravity, we started making wiser choices. We started tying our shoes. We started looking at the sidewalk when there's bumps and there's uneven surfaces. We started putting our nice things in places where animals and little children couldn't touch them and break them. We started realizing this natural law of gravity. We started having this awakening. We started having this wisdom that was coming into the mind. And now we function with this wisdom and we made wiser choices that produced better outcomes. And it's the same thing with this natural law of gamma, that the more you understand it and the wisdom in this natural law, now you can make wiser decisions that lead to wholesome outcomes. And part of The wisdom that I'm sharing with you in today's class is that this fear that comes into the mind, it's shaking up the mind and the mind can't be peaceful, calm, serene, and consent with joy, as long as there's fear. Well, what's causing the fear? Oh, it's craving, desire, attachment. It's this clinging, it's this conditioning of mind. Okay, that's the problem. Well, how do we eliminate that? Well, instead of avoiding the problem, instead of avoiding the situation, which is what the mind's gonna want to do, the unenlighted mind, thinks that that's what it's going to solve the problem. The wisdom of these teachings is that you should confront the problem, put the mind in that situation so that it can become acclimated and desensitized. And now you don't believe what I say. You're learning it. You reflect on it. And then you go practice it. And you see the truth for yourself that, oh, yeah, I used to be afraid of spiders. And I did this kind of gradual training that David talked about and yeah, now I'm not afraid of them anymore. Or I used to be afraid of heights and that would really shake me up and I would feel all these strange feelings when I would get into a position where the body was so high. And then now I've desensitized the mind to that and and now I can feel completely peaceful. So you see the truth for yourself that it actually works. I've had six-year-old students learn this content and train their mind to eliminate the fear of heights on their own so what i'm sharing with you it's not really complicated that's why i don't have any visual aids to share with you today i don't have any slides because it's based on things that you already know and it's really not that complicated it's just putting the mind in the situations that the mind is afraid of and gradually train the mind that there's nothing to be afraid of here this is completely peaceful, as long as you're not causing harm to other beings, harm isn't going to come to you.
2: So you consider the fears experienced in the mind as unwholesome karma for the past and the steps, the gradual process that one can do to eliminate these fears is also a wholesome karma?
1: Yes. So when we say that fears is unwholesome karma returning to us, it's important to understand that gamma is the results of our decisions this fear that you're experiencing isn't punishment for things that you've done in the past that's not what the natural law of gamma is the natural law of gamma is cause and effect it's the results of our decision so the cause of the fear is that your mind is holding on to craving desire attachment it's clinging that's the cause and the effect is that when there's craving desire attachment there's going to be discontentedness. And in this situation, the discontentness we're talking about is fear. So that's the results of your decisions. So for your decisions, because the mind was lacking wisdom, And it didn't understand that craving, desire, attachment is what causes discontentedness. Because it lacked that wisdom, it's been continuing to hold on to this craving, desire, attachment. So therefore, it keeps having these fears over and over and over again. It's the cause and effect. It's the results of your decisions. But now with this wisdom of these natural laws of existence, and you start to understand that it's craving, desire, attachment, that is arising these discontent feelings like fear. Now you see the cause and effect relationship of that. And now you understand that in order to eliminate this craving, and this clinging, I need to practice breathing mindfulness meditation, generosity. I need to put the mind in these situations so that it can be desensitized to these experiences. Now you practice that and you see the truth for yourself. And that's where now with this wisdom that you've brought on board, you now improve the results of your decisions. This cause and effect Is no longer there where before there was this craving that was causing this effect of fear now you've eliminated the cause you've eliminated the craving desire attachment by putting the mind in this situation so now the fear no longer arises so that's how you produce wholesome gamma all unwholesome results all unwholesome gamma is going to come from craving anger and ignorance or the unknowing of true reality. All wholesome results or wholesome gamma is going to come from generosity, loving kindness and wisdom. So here in this situation with fear, what we're doing is we're taking this unwholesome gamma that's being generated because of craving in this ignorance or this unknowing of true reality. We're now transforming that through practicing the wholesome root of wisdom, by gaining wisdom, now you can work to eliminate that craving and that ignorance that's producing the unwholesome results of fear. And now by arising this wholesome qualities of mind of generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom, now the mind can experience improved results. The mind can experience this wholesome results that the fear is eliminated that the mind is now peaceful, calm, serene and content with joy, because we've eliminated these conditions of craving that is causing the fear.
2: I'm from Marseille, she writes, Teacher David, I faint when I see blood or an injury in real life only. I have no control over this. Your view on this, please.
1: Right now, you don't have control over it because you haven't trained the mind yet, but you can gain control over this. So what you do is you train the mind gradually, much like I was talking about with spiders. What I would suggest is that you start out with viewing things online, things that you feel comfortable with, you know, fairly comfortable, but it's kind of moving you a little bit. Maybe some pictures of blood like in a donation bag, you know, because it's kind of organized in like a pint-sized donation bag and look at pictures on the internet of blood and donation bags. And then after you feel comfortable with that, then look at pictures of blood kind of being you know spilled out over the floor or on the table there's different pictures that you can get of this and then maybe you need to actually go donate blood if that's not something that you're currently doing go donate blood or actually go to a donation site where other people are donating blood and kind of observe that ultimately working your way up to where you're donating blood gradually kind of desensitize the mind where you're starting with something small, something minimal that is growth for the mind, but it's not actual real blood like what you're experiencing now where you faint. But instead, start with something small that is growth. And then as the mind feels completely content and peaceful with that, then move to the next increment up and then gradually increment it to the point where you're completely comfortable seeing blood, realizing that it's just another liquid. It's just another liquid it's a certain color maybe even you need to take some water and some food coloring and kind of make it the color of blood or take some fake blood depending on where you live if they celebrate halloween they might have some fake blood or some ketchup or something like this and start looking at that substance as being very similar to blood and understand that this is just a liquid and that there's nothing that you need to be fearful of when you see this blood So you gradually increment the stimulus to the point where you're more and more comfortable with observing real blood in real life.
2: On Facebook, Amina has a question, she writes, what guidance is best for helping a child that is newly frightened of being in crowds? In the pandemic era, here in Italy, the first months of the pandemic had national mandates that children had to stay in the house and isolated. The result is that many children have become more comfortable being home. What slow training can we provide to help eliminate this fear for a young person?
1: Okay, so the ultimate goal is to have a child be comfortable in large crowds. So what you would like to do is throttle that back where maybe she becomes comfortable with just two friends or even just one friend and doing that a few times, going to the playground with just one or two friends. And then increment that up where it's three or four and getting comfortable with that, doing that multiple times. And then moving to six or eight or ten and gradually incrementing it up until she starts realizing that it's completely normal and completely comfortable to be around larger and larger amounts of people. And that when I do that, nothing harmful happens. But you start small and then you just gradually move it up over a consistent long-term period of time. Maybe you do this once a week or, you know, once every two weeks or something like that. And you kind of observe her bodily conduct, you know, her facial expressions, how she interacts. If she has any kind of concerns at any point, you're right there. Perhaps you can have her come talk to you. But then as she starts incrementing it up, maybe you walk away for three minutes or five minutes and you come back and that's okay. And she starts feeling more comfortable with that. So you slowly start to increment the stimulus where maybe you're with her with smaller groups of people, but then as you get closer and closer to larger and larger groups of people, and you can kind of start stepping away that she starts feeling more independent and she's comfortable with being around these larger and larger groups of people.
2: It seems that for some people, they think that it's easier to avoid these fears rather than uh, exposing the mind to these difficult situations. What's your advice for this kind of thinking?
1: This is what the mind wants to do. It wants to run and hide. It wants to have aversion. It wants to push all these situations out. And it thinks that that's what's going to create the contentedness. This is the aversion pushing people out of our life. We push situations out of our life. And we think that's going to solve the problem. But that's not permanent. And using the example that Amina brings up, if we were afraid of large crowds, it's not going to be possible to permanently not be in a large crowd. There's going to be situations where we're going to need to be around five people, 10 people, 20 people. It's going to happen at some point in our life. The longer that we avoid it, the more that the conditioning sets into the mind, the stronger that it holds on. So if we went a year, three years or five years without being around large groups of people, the longer that goes, the more the mind is deeply rooted and holding on to this conditioning. And it's gonna be a lot harder to transform it and counteract that and desensitize it. So rather than pushing things away, it's better to confront it right away. If you've ever been around horses and you fell off of a horse, They always teach you to get right back on and the reason why is because they're not interested in having your mind hold on to the conditioning whereas if you were on a horse and you got thrown off of a horse and i've been thrown off of a horse a few times it hurts if you walked away from that and you just allowed that pain to set into the mind and you avoided the horse Three months, six months, a year, two years later, the mind's going to be very, very fearful of this. Whereas if you fall off the horse and you get right back on the horse, then you don't allow the mind to be conditioned with this fearful experience that created this pain in the body. So I was talking to a student not too long ago where they were with their children, and their children were on like an ATV, kind of like a four-wheeler, and they were driving a little bit erratic because they were excited, and they ended up crashing the four-wheeler. And the children were like crying and upset, and they were like, I'm never going to ride one of those ever again. But the mom was a student that was learning and has learned this this information, and usually they would have done the same thing because they would have been fearful of their children getting hurt. And they would have said, okay, let's put this away. You're not going to play with that anymore because you're going to get hurt. But this student understood how conditioning of the mind works and how fear works. And she heard her children say like, I'm never going to ride one of those ever again. That's the aversion. And the mom said to herself, okay, well, I guess we got to get right back into that ATV right back into that four wheeler, and they need to ride this some more so that they don't allow that conditioning to set into the mind. So, keep that in mind. If a certain situation happens, if you feel the fear arising, the last thing you're interested in doing is avoiding that situation. You'd like to go right back if you can, as long as there's not like you know physical harm where you need to go get medical attention. You'd like to go right back into that situation so that you don't allow the conditioning of the mind to take root so when i fell off of horses growing up we got right back on so therefore i was never afraid of riding a horse even though it hurt really bad to get thrown from a horse occasionally we always got right back on the horse and today even though i haven't risen a horse for many many years if i needed to ride a horse for any reason i would be able to do that without fear even though there was experiences of falling off of a horse So whenever you observe these things with yourself, that the mind has this fear arise, you should look to ensure that the conditioning doesn't set in because the longer it sets in for, the harder it is to uproot and get it out of the mind. So if you can confront it right away in the way that I'm explaining, that's best because then you don't allow that negative experience of falling off of a horse, for example, to set in the mind and now become this Mental object where it now is much harder to uproot out of the mind.
2: Thanks, teacher. No more questions.
1: All right. So now that we've studied this particular chapter 17, Eliminating Fears Are You Really Scared? The reason why I titled this chapter, Are You Really Scared? is because you're not really scared. The problem that you're actually facing is not the fear, the fear isn't the problem. And that's why people push things away. We think that the fear is the actual problem. The fear is the symptom. The fear is the symptom of the problem. The real problem is craving, desire, attachment, the clinging, the mind wanting permanence, this yearning, this longing. So you're not actually scared. The real problem is this craving desire attachment that's what you're working to eliminate and that's why we put the mind back into that situation and desensitize it so that this symptom of fear doesn't arise anymore so the same cause the same condition that's causing the fear that symptom of fear the symptom of anger the symptom of frustration the symptom of irritation the symptom of guilt and all these other discontent feelings that I talk about. Boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy. These are all symptoms. The problem, as we talked about in a previous chapter, the problem is the craving, desire, attachment. That's the real problem. So don't run from the fear because that's just running from the symptom. What you need to do is you need to confront the cause, which is the craving, desire, attachment. The mind doesn't want to be in the dark. The mind's craving light. It wants to be in the light all the time, but then when it experiences this darkness, it doesn't like that impermanence. So since it's craving to be in light, now you put it in the darkness and train it that you're not gonna be able to hold on to this light all the time. Or the mind wants to crave and cling to being on the first floor of a building all the time. It doesn't wanna go up to the fifth floor. So rather than allow it to cling and crave and be on the first floor all the time, put it on the fifth floor and train it that it's not going to get what it wants. This is where you almost have to treat the mind like this third entity. There's this physical body, there's this mind, and then there's this person that's trying to train the mind. And where you see this mind clinging and holding on to something, you need to do just the opposite and train it that you can't have that all the time. Same thing if we're not talking about fear, if we're talking about the mind is always wanting chocolate cake, always wanting chocolate cake. It's clinging to chocolate cake. It just gets all these pleasant feelings from chocolate cake. Well, you know that chocolate cake isn't permanent. It can't have it permanently. So you need to train it to not have it sometimes or to have ice cream or to have apple pie or something like that. So wherever you see the mind craving and clinging and wanting to hold on to something, this person needs to give it just the opposite and take it in the opposite direction and train it to be peaceful, content, and joyful in any and all situations. Even though it wants to cling and hold on to this, you need to sometimes give it these other things so that it can also be peaceful and content in those situations too. If you run from the fear, it's just going to Maintain the problem of this craving, desire, attachment in the mind. And now that we've studied this chapter, 17, the next chapter in the book is something that a lot of us have been taught to be fearful of. Chapter 18 is titled God's Creative Action You Have Free Will. This is a topic that we're going to be discussing next week on Sunday. During the lifetime of the Buddha, He taught about God and he actually taught about multiple gods because during his lifetime, there was belief in multiple gods. So God doesn't play a central role in whether we attain enlightenment or not. But in order to progress on this path, if you have fear of God, for example, this other being, then you need to understand how to eliminate that fear. And here, this is how you eliminate it, is you confront it. So next week, we're moving into chapter 18, where I'm going to help you understand that if you're interested in having a relationship with God, how to actually do that. If you're not interested in having a relationship with God, I'm going to teach you how to do that and still get to enlightenment. The teachings that are on this path to enlightenment, they're not dependent on a relationship with God. You can have a relationship with God and get to enlightenment, but God doesn't determine who attains enlightenment and who doesn't. It's your own choices and decisions. And if you're not interested in having a relationship with God and you would prefer not to have this as part of your life practice, then I'm going to teach you how to do that as part of this path as well. So I'll help you either way. So the purpose of this chapter 18 that we're going to explore next week is helping you to understand how to practice either with a relationship with God or without a relationship with God so that you can ultimately get to liberation and freedom of mind. So if there's currently fear in the mind and that's something that has been instilled in the mind and conditioned in the mind based on your past experiences, today's class helps you to understand how to eliminate that. But then next week when we talk, I'm going to help you understand more about this being called God. And then I'll give you guidance next week, whether you're interested in having a relationship or not interested in having a relationship. Either way, you can still get to enlightenment and I'll provide you guidance on how to do that. And you can read this chapter either before class or after class or before and after class. So that's what we're going to be doing next Sunday. This Wednesday, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation in our group learning program. So you're welcome to join for that. If you'd like to come together, encourage, support, and motivate each other in terms of joining together for our meditation practice, you can join us here on Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, and we'll be doing meditation together on Wednesday. Bassem, are there any other questions that have come up since I've been closing up class?
2: Yes, teacher, a question on Facebook and one here from Nick Consume, he writes, Teacher David, if you look at the mind as a third entity, could we stay at the breakup of the body when the body and the mind separates it? Is it the person that carries on or are the craving and residual memories the person?
1: No, they're not, Nick. So what this relates to the cycle of rebirth, and we're gonna cover this in a future chapter, but we can cover it a little bit here is when you have a being say this being david okay and then say that i don't get to enlightenment in this life and i'm reborn into a future life then what moves from one existence to the next is craving and residual memories that's what moves to the next life but there's a new physical body there's a completely new mind and there's that new person as well Everything's completely new. There's nothing permanent that moves from one existence to the next.
2: Well, a question from Amina on Facebook. She writes, so when we can face fears, we eliminate them turning into a more serious block or trauma. Is this right?
1: Say that again, Bassem?
2: Yes, sure. Uh, She writes, when we can face fears, we eliminate them turning into a more serious block or trauma. Is this
1: right? Oh, I see. So by eliminating the fear, this also eliminates them from becoming a stronger fear or a stronger discontentedness. And the answer is yes, because craving the way that it works is if you allow craving to exist in the mind, it grows and expands. It's like a wild bush or a virus that if you allow this pollution of craving, this pollution of anger, this pollution of ignorance to exist in the mind, as life continues, the craving grows and expands, the anger grows and expands, the ignorance grows and expands. So by eliminating craving, desire, attachment, and cutting it back, then it's going to diminish and ultimately eliminate all discontentedness, such as fear, where the more craving that's in the mind, the more profound That the fears are going to be. But by cutting back craving, desire, attachment, much like you're cutting back that wild bush, it's less likely to regrow. But in order to completely dissolve, completely eliminate all discontentedness, including fears, we need to eliminate all craving, all anger, all ignorance. We need to uproot it, completely eliminate it. The Buddha talks about it obliterating it at the stump. He talks about it as destroying craving. So we need to completely destroy it, uproot it. And that's where instead of having the three unwholesome roots in the mind, we have the three wholesome roots and we bring those wholesome roots into the mind more and more and more. And that's what uproots the unwholesome roots. So the more that you bring in generosity, loving kindness and wisdom into the mind, it pushes out all of this unwholesomeness of craving, anger, and ignorance. And by you gradually working to diminish something like craving, this is why the discontentedness gradually diminishes over time because you're diminishing craving. But how did you do that? By diminishing ignorance. The more you diminish ignorance, you gain this wisdom through learning these teachings. You're gaining the wisdom by diminishing ignorance. You're bringing in that wisdom. That wisdom helps you to diminish craving By diminishing craving and eliminating that, you're also diminishing and eliminating anger. And all of these things together are all getting pushed out and uprooted out of the mind while you're bringing in this generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom.
2: Thanks, Tisha, this is all for today.
1: All right, so next week we'll be discussing chapter 18. On Wednesday, we'll be doing Breathing Mindfulness Meditation. I'll see you in one of those classes, perhaps all of them. Until next time, have a really lovely rest of your day. Sawadika.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment.